Hi, this is Dean Butler, and I'm Brian's next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 149. This is your weekly look into what's coming your way as far as movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have a great guest coming away. He's got a lot of good stories to tell us and uh, telling us about what he's up to now. It's Dean Butler. He, he played Almanzo on the TV show Little House on the Prairie, and uh, he's a great guest, great guy, and he's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And uh, if you're a new listener to On Screen and Beyond, welcome, and we want to thank you for joining us. And if you're a past listener who's been listening for a long time or just somebody who's catching up on all the shows, Take a look back at what we have to offer and all the different guests we've had because uh, we've got you know people from uh, shows you remember when you were young. We've got people who are new shows that are on right now. We've got uh, people who are uh, you know in the music industry, and it's a, it's a lot of fun, a lot of nice things to listen to, and it's all right here at On Screen and Beyond. If you've got a suggestion on somebody you'd like us to have, email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll see what we can do about getting it uh on the show and uh, see what we can do. I don't know. We never know who we're going to get. Uh, I don't ever know who I'm going to get. But anyways, coming up next, it's uh, time to look at Remake. Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Okay, Remake Madness. It seems that Warner Brothers is on a remake frenzy right now. In the works at that studio are remakes of The Wild Bunch a 1969 Western which starred William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. And the studio was also looking at remaking The Dirty Dozen, a 1967 film which also starred Ernest Borgnine along with Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson. And in uh, 1977, there was a film called Oh God, which starred George Burns and John Denver, and they are looking to remake that one. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming movies right here. Upcoming movies, well, a new comedy is in the works called Get Back. Now, it's about two obsessed Beatles fans who decide to travel back in time to stop the Beatles from breaking up. And Mean Girls director Mark Waters is set to direct that one. That one sounds pretty interesting. I think I'm going to like that. And in 2012, look for Nicolas Cage to star in Medallion. It's about a father frantically searching for his missing daughter in New York City. And John Cusack will star in The Raven, and it's a fictionalized story about the last days of Edgar Allan Poe and a serial killer. That's it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen to Beyond, we're going to take a walk down to Sequel City to check out what's coming away as far as sequels. Next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, the word is out that Destination 5, if it does well, it's going to be opening in November, of course, then they will do Destination 6 and 7 
back-to-back. And it looks like Die Hard 5 is looking at starting production this year, according to Bruce Willis. And a sequel to 1997's Con Air may come to the screen. And Con Air 2 is on the wish list for director Simon West. So we'll see what comes from that. We'll keep you updated. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a look at what's coming away as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, April 5th, look for Friday Night Lights to come to DVD with the fifth and final season. And March 15th, you can get Laramie, the first season with John Smith and Robert Fuller. Now, Robert was a past guest on On Screen and Beyond, so you can check that out with his interview as it is in episode 70 in our rerun section of onscreenandbeyond.com. And April 19th, you can get season six of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Will Smith. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a look at what's coming away as far as movies on DVD. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Movies on DVD, well, we've got some that are out right now that are going to be coming out uh, shortly. In June, you can look for Barney's version with Paul Giamatti to land on DVD. Also in June, look for The Right with Anthony Hopkins. And in May, The Green Hornet lands on DVD. That's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, we are going to be chatting with Dean Butler, Almanzo from the Little House on the Prairie show. And uh, like I said earlier, he's a great guy. He's got a lot of stories to tell us. Stick around. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest has played many roles over the years, including Moondoggy on The New Gidget, but he is best known for his role as Elmanzo Wilder, the husband of Laura Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. It's Dean Butler. Dean, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Nice to be here. We finally made it through that. So <laughs> now the easy part. Those part-y. intros could be a killer sometimes. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Lately, I've been having a lot of trouble with those. <laughs> Well, Dean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and I I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I wanted to ask you, now, actors play many roles in their lives and in their careers and everything, but many times they're always remembered for one specific role. And, of course, you know, I mean, you've played many roles that people remember you as, but, of course, Little House on the Prairie always comes up that you're associated with. Uh, Does that ever bother you that you're remembered for that? Uh, Well, you know, I, I often feel to go completely in that direction brian i often feel that or always feel that you know when when after i breathe my last breath on this planet the first line of my obituary will include the louse on the prairie mm-hmm. and um i have absolutely no problem with that and uh, in fact i have worked quite diligently to make sure that that would be the case um 
I really love the material. I love what it stands for. I love the Laura's books. I love what we did with the series. Yeah. Um, it's something that all of us who are a part of it are very proud of. And um, I, I think because it says something so good, basically good about about the human condition, about about the best of what people can be in adverse circumstances. I think it's it's very attractive from that perspective, and um, I love it for that reason. And I am always, always proud to be associated with it. There, there's nothing else I've done that I would rather be associated with than Little House. And um, so that's all good for me. Yeah, and... It's it's like TV now doesn't – there are very few shows. I mean there might be a couple, but very few shows have that kind of family feeling to it. Yeah, I think it's um, – well, we're in a different era in America now, and I think we're – family is being viewed in a completely different way yeah. than maybe it was yeah. many years ago. Um, you know, when we were doing the program and for years before that, the American family was viewed as this very traditional mother, father, children, uh, you know, maybe extended family with, with grandmother and grandfather. Um, you know, now we live in an America where um, that isn't necessarily the norm anymore. And I don't know that there is an absolute norm, although I would suspect that even though the media does not present it this way, the majority of families in America are traditional families by definitions that we would understand from Little House or from a, another era of television. But the cutting-edge nature of television and always needing to be out in front with the trends of things um, demands that different kinds of families are presented and different formulas for families are presented. So it's not surprising. Uh, you know, the great news is that programs like ours and program, other programs like it um, have a life, whether that be on DVD or um, on uh, nostalgia television channels right, um, yeah. or, um, or the Internet even. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the material is out there, and that's sort of what's fun, is that if you want to find it, you can find it. Yeah. And Michael Landon, it seemed like, uh, you know, even back then, uh, TV was starting to go in a dis different direction. They were tr trying to get a little more edgy and things like that. Yet he went with this type of show, uh, which was, like I say, very family-oriented and, and, you know, it gave you a good feeling when you watched it. And he did that also with... Um, uh, <laughs> You're going to have to help me out with this one. His, his, Highway to Heaven. Highway to Heaven. There we go. I was going to say. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And obviously Bonanza before that. Although right. Bonanza had the, sort of the shoot em up fight factor of, uh, you know, guys will be guys kind of a thing. But, right. Um, but he was. Yeah, I, you know, Michael was, knew who he was talking to. Yeah, and it seemed like he knew what people wanted as opposed to what Hollywood was trying to give people, um, you know. Well, I, I I agree with that. I think that Michael knew exactly what he was trying to give to audiences. He knew what his audiences loved about him. I think that Michael, upon really on reflection, and we've all, all of us who worked with him for years have had ample opportunity to reflect on it, and I think we all knew that Michael was quite brilliant and insightful when we were working with him. But you know, the, in the years that have trans, the years that have passed since all that, um, I think that we can come to an even deeper, 
more um, a fuller understanding of how great Michael really was at what he did and how well he understood what his audience wanted from him and how capable he was at giving it to them. Week after week, year after year, Michael delivered stories that audiences that loved him loved to watch. And that is a very special skill. Uh, and uh, today, in today's standards, it's, it's very unusual. I mean, you know, you've got this guy um, who's achieved enormous amounts of success in our country, and we're talking about family programming, Tyler Perry. Um, you know, Tyler Perry has been quite brilliant at being the star, the writer, the director, the producer. Mm-hmm. He's wearing all the hats. Michael wore all the hats. Right. Tyler Perry speaks to his audience and really is unabashedly afraid to speak to his audience. And Michael spoke to his audience, unabashedly afraid to say exactly what he believed his audience wanted. He was not, Michael was not persuaded by, uh, you know, trend studies. He was not persuaded by network executives. He was not persuaded by all the experts. Michael knew what he had to offer. And those of us who were a part of it with him could only really sit back and marvel at how well he knew what it was he was trying to do. Yeah. Uh, he was a very, very special talent, as is, interestingly enough, Tyler Perry today, who absolutely understands unswervingly what his audience wants to see. You have to respect that. Yeah. It's not an easy place to get to. Yeah. Did Michael have to fight with executives to get what he wanted and what he felt and actually what the people ended up wanting because of the popularity of the shows he was on. Uh, did he have to fight to get that? I don't know that he ever had to fight for it. I think his numbers sort of did the fighting for him. Right, as long as they, know, the executives, if they saw that, that's all they cared yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, if, if the shows are delivering numbers, if people are tuning in every week, I think, I think that was probably more likely what was happening, Brian, is that networks executives were continually confounded that Michael was getting the numbers that he was getting. They just couldn't understand why he was getting those numbers mm-hmm. in, the, in the landscape that we were all in. Yeah. Now, we weren't in today's landscape, and we have to think back to the, you know, when Little House was on network television, we were still in the era of free networks. You know, it was ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's, that's what the choices were. That's what was there. And then there were, of course, local channels doing syndicated television, but Fox hadn't really come along yet. Uh, and then, of course, the explosion of, uh, of cable and things like HBO and Showtime and all of those kinds of alternative channels, which offer today tremendous programming. Oh, yeah. And we were not competing against all that. Right. And, and I think, you know, you have to put that in context as well. Michael's decisions or his creative direction was a clear contrast to what was around him. So from that point of view, it was brilliant counter-programming. It was always counter-programming mm-hmm. to what the to what the net, the other networks were offering, and he did it. He did it so very well. And even when people tried to copy him, and there were those few that tried to copy what he was doing, they just didn't do it as well as he did it. I, I think that he, Michael just had this uncanny sense and instinct about what was right for him and right for the people he had hired 
and and write for that audience. And he just was amazing at giving it to them. Yeah. Now, did your interest in producing, because now you're doing a lot of producing and things like that, uh, did it develop back then when you were on Little House? I, I loved being... Um, I think I loved being in the editing room or on the scoring stage or the dubbing stage or sitting with the writers or um, I loved that as much as what I was doing mm-hmm. and um, it was I always have loved the process of doing this and have been intrigued by the many people or the many different kinds of jobs that have to get done in order for something to happen and I have long felt um, that producers have the producers have much more fun than the actors or the directors or the writers have. I, I I think producers have an enormous amount of fun because it's their world and they're running it and they get to say what we're doing, how we're doing it, and now it, if it's not working, the audience is the ultimate arbiter of who gets to who's going to be doing what they're doing. But if the if the producers are servicing their audiences, they are in they have a an enormous amount of control, mm-hmm. uh, and that is a very I don't produce on that level, but I do love the idea that and a, that a lot of producers like of starting with the blank page, and moving forward from the blank page to a completed project. That's really satisfying. As the actor, you were always the last one hired and the first one finished. And that was never particularly satisfying to me because I always sort of felt like the people who were finishing the program were having what we were having. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that mean you know, that's, that's maybe it's just for me the case of the grass, is, the grass being greener somewhere else. But um, really did believe that and felt that. Yeah. And it was, so it was very intriguing for me to know what other people were doing. Yeah. And now, uh, since we're talking a little bit about uh, you know you producing and, and that, uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll get back to Little House. But uh, um, you are an executive producer now for uh, doing legacy doc- documentaries, correct? Correct. We do we do programming for uh, for a whole range of different kinds of clients and different kinds of programming. But what we really specialize in is um, is this area where we are as we like to say, capturing life's defining moments for our clients. Uh, I really am a big fan of heroic stories. I like heartwarming stories, touching personal stories. Um, And Legacy Documentaries gives us the opportunity in a range of different kinds of forums to tell those kinds of stories about individuals, about companies, about organizations. Um, We deal with heritage. We deal with legacy, obviously, in the title. it's it, it's really it, it's really about capturing it's stories about people and they are done sometimes in a very simple way other times they're done more elaborately but the core of it is always about people and essentially um, really mainly the good things that people do mm-hmm. that's not to say that we're a Pollyanna-ish kind of company and we're not just telling all sweet stories there are certainly are dark sides to some of these stories but we come at it from a very um, we want to we want to tell stories from an optimistic heartfelt point of view mm-hmm. um, I sort of like to I'd like to stir the positive emotions in people I, I'm really not interested in depressing people um, 
you know, I, I'm not interested in changing the world with the things that we do. I, I'm not interested in uncovering the latest scandals about mm-hmm. um, life and times in the world. I, I think there are other people who really do that work really well, and they have a passion for it. I would much rather have someone smile and say, I really enjoyed that yep. when they were done watching something that we did. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would, would be delighted if someone had a chuckle or shed a little, a tear or, you know, felt like, well, I didn't know that about that person. Um, but it's, uh, in the end, I think that we're going to seek to find the positive aspect of what someone contributes or mm-hmm. what an organization or a company contributes to the world. That's how we're going to come at it. Yeah. So, um, that's our mission, and that's what we do. Yeah, it sounds very much like the type of thing we're doing here. We we, we want the good parts of, of everybody's careers and things like that. So um, I can yeah, understand nice, what you're it's saying. It's a nice thing, Brian. It's it's nice, to t- and I think people look. It, is it cutting edge? Is it? I no, it's not cutting edge, but I think it serves. There's an audience for it, and yeah. I think that people like. There are people who really want to hear positive stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can give them those positive stories and hopefully do it professionally and do it in a, with a kind of a style and a flair that um, is engaging and interesting to watch and has integrity. Uh, but we're certainly not probably going to be involved in a story that is designed to attack somebody or... Um, you know, yeah, destroy a reputation or whatever. Now, it's not that we have we have certainly done packages on issues where we are being advocates for situations where we don't agree with things that people are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not, but I, but we are motivated by the fact that we are advocating for something we feel is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, in that light, we have attacked, or we will challenge uh, conventional wisdom. On an idea, if we believe that if we believe that what we're advocating for is the right thing, and I think you just have to you have to be willing to take um, you have to be willing to take a position about how you feel about something. You you can't be you know you can't not have a point of view. You have to have a point of view. Generally, I like to have the positive point of view. Right. Yeah. But we certainly can take a more uh, when necessary to make a point. We can we can come a little bit more. Um, with a little more edge on yeah. somebody. So we do a little bit of everything, actually. Now, some of the things you've done, you, you've, I understand you did some DVD, uh, the, the bonus material for some of the Little House DVDs? Well, we did, a number of years ago, a company called Imavision out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, owns the North American distribution rights to Little House. And, of course, they work with NBC Home Entertainment, and so we produced, oh, I think, you know, four-plus hours of bonus features about the series. Yeah. Um, what better person could they get to do it? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I think they certainly would have a hard time finding someone who would know as much about the series and be as um, nurturing and supportive of it as right. we are. Um, you know, so I think, that, and I think that's what they responded to is the fact that they know that I'm never going to put anything out there or or suggest anything that does not 
place our series in the best possible light. Right, yeah. You know, that's there have been other packages that have been done by other producers um, where they were trying to make a different kind of case about different things just to be sort of fun or flippant about it. And um, my cast, fellow cast members and I objected very strongly to those kinds of packages and just insisted that they not be used. Hmm. Um, and, um, and they were nice enough, they were respectful enough of our take on it that they didn't use those things. And we've always, we're grateful for that. Um, the things that we have done, the things that Legacy has done about Little House are very positive, and they range from, you know, everything from features about the historic sites, which are very simple little features that we wanted to do to just show, to have people know who wouldn't necessarily know otherwise that that Little House is based on a true story and the places where she lived really existed. Right. They still yeah. exist, rather, and you can visit them and see them and experience them. And so we did a little bonus, very simple bonus packages about that. And we did, uh, we've done wonderful packages about Michael Landon and we've done, we did, we've done long form interviews with Melissa Gilbert and with Karen Grassley and uh, with the Labrato brothers and with Catherine McGregor and Richard Bull and Merlin Olson and, you know, so we've done we've done those kinds of things. Um, we've done features about the weather. We've done features about um, oh gosh, what have we done? Well, just Laura's Laura's legacy in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, we've done packages about that. So the things that we did began appearing in the season eight collections of the series, and. They were everything we did was included in a pack in a collection that was done called the Mega Pack, which was the ten season collection um, of the show, yeah. and all you know four plus hours of everything we've made for the series was included in that release. Mm-hmm. So it's all out there. You know, so someone buys this ten season package, they can watch everything we've ever done mm-hmm. about Little House, well, at least in terms of the series itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as you as an actor, when you began, was this your goal to become an actor? Or um, I think you know when I when I was first sort of looking at this, I and I probably have come you know nicely full circle with everything. I was really the kid. Um, I was sort of the tech geek in um, you know in elementary school and early on in high school, where you know I was the guy sort of probably more likely behind the scenes who was you know was interested in stagecraft and running lights and mm-hmm. you know, I was the tech I was the tech geek. I yep. was the guy who ran the projectors and the tape recorders and I was one of those guys. Yeah. And and then when I got into high school I sort of got interested I think what flipped it for me was the idea um at a high school basketball game I was I really we had a great varsity basketball team and I wanted to somehow be associated or attached to it and and do something you know connected to it so I volunteered to do the statistical book at games and at the at one game I guess one of the early games of the season we're getting ready to start the game and there's a microphone sitting on the table and the faculty advisor looked over and said who's going to introduce asked who was going to introduce the starting lineups and it was just this, you know, this B 
beam of light, you know, everything goes dark <laughs> except for the shaft of light that drops down on this silver sure microphone that was sitting on the table. <laughs> and I was just hooked at that point. And I, I have always loved, since that point, I've always loved announcing and have done a little radio. And, and of course, I love voicing all the things that we make here, certainly related to Little House. Mm -hmm. I voice them because I'm readily available. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know I can schedule it the way I want to to do it when I want to do it. So, um, but I love doing that work, and and uh, it's fun for me, and it's um, it's fun to be the voice of authority. And uh, you know you listen to great people who do this, and you know you sort of dream of having the chops to to be one of those great voices, but. Um, I enjoy doing what I do with the with the things that we make, and I think we do a pretty good job with it. And um, certainly, where Little House is concerned, I think it's something that's the audience is certainly prepared to embrace because they know me yeah. from the program. Oh so. yeah, yeah. Do you remember your first acting job as far as TV or movies? Uh, first, well, the first, gosh, the first acting thing was probably was probably in I was in the. You know, people don't, wouldn't necessarily call it acting, but I was an extra on the streets of San Francisco oh, yes. when um, when that was being made in San Francisco during the years I was in college mm -hmm. at the University of the Pacific, and I had an agent and um, would uh, would drive into the city to audition, or you'd say in, in extra work you'd just get hired off your picture basically, and um, but I remember going to do this extra job on the pier in San Francisco where I was with a group of high school kids doing a high school car wash. And, you know, we were there for hours doing this sequence. And I remember, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? He was he was on Mission Impossible for years. Um, uh, Martin Lando? Not Martin Lando, no. The African-American actor who was, Oh, who uh, you know? Who was the uh, sort of the uh, the tech geek? Greg, uh, Greg, Greg Morris. Greg Morris. Yes, he was the he was the guest on the show, and and you know they do this. They have the scene where you know Michael Douglas and and uh, Carl Malden you know drive in and find him. He's a teacher in the high school. He's the faculty advisor, and they do this scene where they're scrubbing cars, and and you realized. Or I realized when I saw the show on the air, I thought, God, I'm going to be, you know, someone's going to see me in the scene. This is great. Well, you know, I, I saw my arm with a sponge in it when the show aired. And I realized at that moment that, you know, an ex, being an extra is not the way to get what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you want to be seen, you're going to have to be an actor. And because it's then it becomes sort of essential to, you know, to, uh, you're going to be in front of the camera. And I had the first dialogue I ever had. My, I got my, I, I was earned my SCAG card um, on another episode of Streets of San Francisco where I played a very harmless, but uh, a very harmless, malicious phone caller. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had like one line, you know. But by God, you know, I had my line, and what was really cool, Brian, was when I arrived on the set, and of course, streets was a very was totally on the streets, and the unit moved around the city and shot. It was a huge caravan of, you know, of, of uh, dressing rooms and eighteen wheeler trucks and all this stuff, and I, I felt like I had arrived when, um, or I was really excited when I arrived on the set and saw the mobile dressing room with my name on the door. Hmm. 
And that was a real, I'd never seen that before. You know, I'd never had that before. So I knew that I was heading in the right direction. Yeah. Now, when when that episode aired, did you get all your friends and family and everybody around the TV to see that episode with you in it? We're talking about the extra one, uh, the, the one where you had your first line. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we were all watching. Yeah. You know, I I, I was probably in college at the time, and I, I was in college at the time, and and I probably was at school, but I'm sure my family was watching at home. Yeah. I mean, I I don't recall that specifically, but. Um, it would stand to reason that my family was probably watching. Yeah. No. And it was fun. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What about Little House? How did you get the part of uh, Almanzo or Almanzo? I was, you know, I was up in, uh, I was finishing my senior year at University of the Pacific, and I had an agent in Los Angeles. And the previous year, you know, a year before this, or two years before this, I had done a wonderful movie of the week for CBS called Forever, which was based on the Judy Bloom novel mm-hmm. by the same name, Forever, with the opposite Stephanie Zimbalist. And this was an adolescent love story, and it was really a, it was really a great experience. And um, and I was back at school and auditioning, flying back and forth to Los Angeles to audition. And it was probably two months before I was going to graduate that the Little House meetings happened. And it was four different meetings, and um, and it all worked out right. You know, at, uh, the, I guess it was the end. I want to say it was probably the end of April. Mm-hmm. Um when I had my last meeting with uh, with Mr. Landon and met him for the first time and read for him and um, and he hired me, I, I, he t- they took two weeks to call and make an offer, but he had essentially he basically told me when I left the room that that he was going to hire me. I I wanted to believe him, but I had had a bad experience on another project where I had basically been told I had the job when I left the audition and when I got by the time I got home back to my apartment and called my agent they'd hired someone else uh, so you know you just couldn't take that and it wasn't malicious it's just the way it worked right, out yeah, yeah. Um, and so I I wanted to believe it was going to work out but the longer it went on without getting a phone call it was a little tough and right. when, it finally, when it finally happened you know it was obviously a, it was a great moment and yeah. um you know that's this experience has been transformational in my life. It has really it has really guided the direction of my life in so many ways, in so many positive ways. Now, coming into a show like that that has has been on for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden you're on the show. Did the cast you know accept you right in and, and right off? Everybody was was getting along good and everything. And... Oh, I think it was. I think it was a yeah. I think it was a very welcoming group. You know, obviously the you know the show had been on for five years already. It was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think when you're coming into a situation, and I knew I was coming in to play a significant part in the development of the show. Right. Um, and they did too. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of expectation that goes with that. And, um, 
you know, you just hope that you, coming into it, you just don't want to upset the apple cart. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be the guy who wrecks it. Yeah, and let's face reason. it. And, you know, the good reason, the good thing with Michael is that Michael would never let anyone wreck it. Right, You know, because yeah. he could prevent you from wrecking it if you were going to wreck it. So, you know, he could protect you to a certain degree and... um and on the show, the show in the in the bottom line analysis, you know, he was really the glue. He he made it work. He was the presence on screen that the world loved and responded to. The rest of us had him, had our moments to play, but Michael was really the juice. Yeah, and he knew that, and everybody else knew that. So in in a lot of ways, that took a lot of pressure off of everybody else. Yeah, because. Michael really had it all on his shoulders. And, and you, like you were saying, you actually had a very major role because, I mean, let's face it, it's Laura Ingalls Wilder, and right. <laughs> you, were, right. you were Mr. Wilder. So. Right, no, exactly. I, you, yeah. know, you, you certainly know I had never read the books before I got this, and mm-hmm. you know, never, I didn't know anything about it. it yeah. the, the, the Little House books were not read in our family. Um, I had never heard of them, didn't know anything about them. Candidly, I did not. I, you know, I, I asked Michael if the book should be read, and he said, "Don't worry about it. Just worry about reading my scripts, and you know, do what I, what we're asking you to do." And uh, you know, so the show was an homage to the books, but it was as as Little House fans fans of the books certainly know better than anybody else. It was not a slave to the books. Right. It covered the major plot points of the books, but it was certainly on a week-to-week basis, um, not at all, um, you know, it was not locked in hard to what right. the books were trying to do. And I think Michael believed that, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that these books were were such that you could not do 10 years of shows based on these books. Right, yeah. It's only so much material to go on. Yeah, it's just there's just not enough there to really to build successful hours around each of these things. And, you know, I think he felt like he really had... Melissa Gilbert was really sort of the key here for him. He had to take her where she was capable of going. In the case, and in the case of bringing me into the show, I think he had to push her, and fortunately she was able to do it, had to push her to grow up a little faster than maybe she would have wanted to. Uh, yeah. Um, and she, you know, being 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 the competent and feisty woman and girl that she was and is, she just embraced that. You know, she just did what she needed to do. She did what she was asked to do, and she did it really well. Yeah. Is there any certain episode that you were in that you really said this? I, this is really the best episode I, I was in, and I liked it, you know, that much. Well, I, I view that, you know, in the context of what I know the audience loves. And, and uh, there certainly were episodes that I really liked because I, I sort of liked what, um, you know, what they asked of me and what I got an opportunity to play. Um, but in terms of what the in terms of what fans really love and people who love the books really love, there's no question that... Uh, uh, Sweet 16, the episode entitled Sweet 16 in season six, was a defining episode for me as a character, for Melissa as a character, and for the show. Uh, because it, it signified the turning point where Melissa or where Laura was going to stop, was you know, leaving 
childhood right. and becoming a young woman. Yeah. And so that was a very, very big episode in the series' life. And uh, the audience rewarded that change massively with numbers that were just through the roof. It yeah. was just, it was really exciting. They just totally got it and uh, and loved it. And, you know, the sh- that episode re-ran, I think, twice in prime time during the summer months because it was so successful, which is really unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really, it was, that was a good one. Um an episode that I really loved because of the comedic challenges in it was an episode called The Nephews, where my brother Royal brings his twin boys and leaves them with us. This is after Laura and Almanzo are married and mm-hmm. leaves the nephews with us, and they're just terrors. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, Uncle Manzo is uh, tested, you know, throughout that yeah. throughout that <laughs> episode, and um it was fun. You know, Michael had a really nice touch with comedy, and um, so it was, it, was a, it was a neat episode to do. Yeah. Do you ever see the, the cast members now? Uh, we get together on occasion. It's not, it's not a constant thing, but uh, we certainly all communicate with each other. You know, we have, we have a nice relationship as a cast on an ongoing basis. We, when we do events together, it's always, it's always fun to be together. Um, we like each other. You know, yeah. so yeah, we've had Allison. Allison Arngram was on the show, and uh, Melissa Anderson was also on the show at one point. Oh, uh, well, she's a, yeah, they're you know they're they're both uh, you know, well. Allison is a total character, oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, and well, Melissa's you know Melissa's Melissa Anderson. I mean, what a beautiful woman she has become. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent some time with her in Green Bay, Wisconsin, this last year, and I, oh. she was just she was just great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we have to finish up here, um, and uh, but I just wanted to touch real quick on uh, playing Moon Doggy on Gidget on the new Gidget. Yeah. Um, how was it playing uh, a character that okay a lot of people remember from of course earlier when Sally sure. Field was on sure. it, and sure. uh, and in the movie Moon Doggy was never in that series very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he was uh, he was he was just sort of more an object than anything else, and you didn't really see him a whole lot. I think that you know he, he appeared a little bit when we were doing our version of it. You know, Gidget's all grown up, and Gidget has married Moon Doggy, and so they have this life together. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I I loved working with Karen Richmond. I just uh, who played was the seventh Gidget in the line of Gidgets. And, no, it's been quite a few. Uh, she was just awesome. Yeah, and now they're talking about doing Gidget again, I guess. Or, yeah, I know. Actually, yeah, I've, I've, I have heard that, and I have uh, you know, had conversations with the producer of that program, and um, I think it'll be fun, because it'll be a very different approach to I'm Gidget. Sure. But yeah. there's, there's, something, there's something very empowering about it. I mean, Gidget was way out in front of itself in terms of its view of the American girl and who the American girl could be and aspirations of a young woman and uh, independence and you know trying things that were not traditional roles at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Gidget's right in the you know Gidget's right in the sweet spot of all that today. I think it'll be interesting to see if it succeeds, and I think if they do it in a fun uh, if they do it in a fun, quirky way, 
or with a you know the right with the right feel and things are produced so well when they're done well today yeah. um i have no and this producer is terrific um i have no doubt it will be great yeah uh, well uh, i have just two final questions uh and they're what are your favorite tv shows that's one of all time not of necessarily time. the ones you were in but you know what you enjoy watching sure um well, I probably besides what I've been in, I think probably my two favorite TV shows of all time: uh, one, the original Star Trek, ah, yes, and two, the the uh, Robert Conrad Wild Wild West, ah, yeah, with Ross Martin. Yeah, uh, we loved as kids, loved both of those shows. Uh, I have a huge number of original Star Trek episodes on my. Uh, on through iTunes and mm-hmm. watch them. I do not own Wild Wild West episodes, but it is on occasionally. Whenever I can see it, I do watch it. Um, just a lot of fun. Oh, Both yeah. shows were were great fun in terms of you know more contemporary things. Uh, love Friends. Um, I just think it's an absolutely brilliant piece of casting, and overall through all the years they made the show, the mm-hmm. writing was just terrific and characters beautifully drawn and uh, you know you really feel like you know these people oh, yeah. it, it did what television at its best does and it, it it creates relationships with the audience and um i just think they were it was just brilliant yeah. and we love watching it still yeah and what about movies what's your favorite movies Oh, let's see favorite movies and i'm sure this should just sort of jump out um you know, my wife Catherine and I end up watching a lot of what I think of as you know my old friend movies. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm a big fan of watching things that I've watched many times. Uh, I you know it's very commercial and I have very commercial tastes in films. Mm-hmm. I am not a particularly I'm not an elitist in that way. It's very commercial taste. Um, God, let me think. I mean, I I probably have said for years that Patton. Is one of my favorite movies yeah, of all time. Yeah. Um, I love the Natural, uh, the Robert Redford, Redford yeah. picture, the the Natural, um, Hoosiers, yeah. Rudy. Um, I look at the wonderful comedies, the wonderful comedy Kevin Klein did called Dave. You know, I just, I, I enjoy that film. <laughs> Oh, Dave is terrific, and 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 I love the the picture that's very similar to it. That uh, um, God, now I'm just Shirley MacLaine starred in called Guarding Tess, mm-hmm. uh, where she plays the first lady or the the former first lady who is now living in retirement in Ohio, and yeah. it's all about her Secret Service detail and Nicholas Cage is that leads her her detail. Yeah. Another Nicholas Cage picture that I really like is Family Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a terrific, charming picture. Great performances by, really fun performances by Nicolas Cage and um, oh, and the actress's name. Awful escapes me right T, now. Was it T. Le, T. Leone? Is that how you pronounce it? There you it? go. T. Leone. T. She's yeah. wonderful. I just think she just, you know, she's funny. She's She's sexy. She's got the whole package going. She's got a great voice. She's got a great look. Yeah. Wonderful, just wonderful connection in her work. 
Um, you know, so I, again, and these are all sort of very positive, upbeat films yes, with, yeah. with nice messages. Oh, another one of my favorites is, uh, is Galaxy Quest. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, again, a play on Star Trek. Yeah. Absolutely love that movie. Yeah. I, I just, I can watch it. I, well, I have watched it many, 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 many times. I, I just love it. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on with this list of movies, but you sort of get the feeling yeah. that, you get the sense that the kinds of movies I like are positive. Um, they have a certain humor to them. Um, fun. Oh, yeah. You know, for years, one of my favorite movies was the Ron Howard picture, Splash, mm-hmm. one of Tom Hanks' Tom first Hanks, movies, yeah. which I just thought was terrific. And, and I love... Generally, Apollo 13 is another one of those movies that I just love. Yeah. Tom Hanks and that whole group. Ron Howard is our generation's Frank Capra. He's just he's just fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Dean, I, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you, hope you had a good time. Well, I mean, Brian, you, you've allowed me to talk about myself for 45 minutes. I mean, you know, <laughs> who, who doesn't love that? Uh, <laughs> That <laughs> I, I appreciate you thinking of me and uh, and wanting to chat, and I hope your audience gets a kick out of it. I want to thank Dean so much for taking the time to talk to us from Little House on the Prairie, Almanzo. It's it's just great to hear those stories, and he's such a nice guy. So uh, be sure to check out our website at uh, onscreenandbeyond.com for all our past guests with loads and loads of uh, Golden Globe and Oscar winners and nominees and directors and screenwriters and Emmy winners and Grammy winners and and musicians and all sorts of stuff, whether it's the the guys from Porky's, Bob Barker, Kevin Sorbo, Taylor Lautner. uh, It it just goes on and on, all the guests that we've had, uh, Dick Van Patten. It's just, you know, just so many people. So uh, check them out and uh, Listen to them and tell your friends about it and share it with everybody. It's always there, and we appreciate you listening, and we hope that you'll join us each week. And until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.